welcome to the Loving Lake Geneva podcast. I'm your host, Karen Stray Rappaport. Each episode, I take an outside-the-wake look at the area's most interesting people, places, and happenings. It's another great day here in Lake Geneva, and the lake looks stunning, so let's jump right in. Well, today we have with us Catherine Rupp to talk about Canine Companions, a national nonprofit organization that's been around since 1975 and has provided service dogs at no cost to people in need. Welcome, Catherine. Hi, Karen. Thanks for having me today. Oh, well, thanks for being here. And I I first met you at the Geneva Lake Women's Association meeting. And of course, whenever I see a dog, I just beeline right to it and the person they're attached to. So that's what made me come over to you right away. And you have this beautiful yellow lab named Oshi, who is always by your side. Can you tell us a little bit about why this beautiful dog is attached to you? <laughs> yes. Um, so Oshi is a one-year-old puppy. He is a uh, future service dog. I am his volunteer puppy raiser. He came to me when he was eight weeks old from California, from Canine Companions uh, breeding operation. And they, they come to us at eight weeks old. We have them till they're about 18 months old. And during that time, we take them out and get them socialized. So when you saw me with him at the meeting, that was just one more socialization opportunity for him to get to know more people and learn how to behave in public. In our, um, our breeding program, we breed labs, goldens, or cross between the two. And um, we have the highest success rate with the uh, crosses, about um, 50% overall placement rate with our dogs, but we have the highest success rate with the crosses. I think you get the best of all, uh, best of both personalities. Well, he is just an absolute angel and always, always perfect. How did you first get involved uh, to be a volunteer puppy raiser? And what drew you to, how did you hear about Canine Companions? Well, it was really by accident. I think that's how most people find out about us. (laughs) Um, I had been volunteering with my pet dogs doing therapy, therapy dog work. And as I progressed and I saw how much people were helped by visiting with my little dogs, I thought, what would it be like to raise a service dog? And so I just happened to be at a dog event. And I mentioned this to a woman I was talking to, and she said, well, go over there and talk to Joan. She's a volunteer puppy raiser for Canine Companions. So I did. And three months later, my husband and I had our first puppy. (laughs) Aww. I have a rescue dog, a golden retriever, and I took him to an assisted living place a few times and boy, to see the people light up, you know, especially people who had dogs, you know, when they were younger, I I get what you're saying about just the, that experience and, you know, of, of making people's day. And and of course, Canaan Companions goes way beyond that, but such a great feeling. But I know, you know, I look at this, like I used to be a foster home for rescue organization for 20 years. And they called me a foster failure because I just, when it came time to give them up, I, I couldn't. So as a puppy raiser here, you know, you've had Oshi since eight weeks old and 
when it comes time to have to give them up, you know, I think a lot of people are going to say, I can't be a puppy raiser because I could never give them up. I mean, what, what do you say to that? We get that question all the time. It's the most uh, common asked question. And the main thing I say is that I don't do this so I could have another dog in my house permanently. If I wanted another pet dog, I would just go get one. So when you sign up to be a puppy raiser, you know that it's going to be a short-term experience. Of course, you get emotionally attached to your puppy. You know, how could you not? But um, there's just a, a reason that to do it in the first place that's beyond having a dog. So my husband and I, re we really like to have puppies around and we like to do the puppy training. So for us, it's just a really great way to help people that we would otherwise not be able to help in such a profound way. That's so great. And, and uh, I mean, I know it's not all fun and games. You you have a heavy responsibility for teaching this dog, training this dog. What are your responsibilities specifically? Well, from the day we get them, we we start training. Actually, the breeder caretakers who have them before us have started training with with socializing with people and things like that. But um, ultimately, we will teach them 30 commands and basic obedience. Um, we get them socialized in public places. That's a little different than, than your pet dog. Um, and then self-control. You know, when puppies uh, start out, you know, they think they can just do anything anytime, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so we work with them uh, pretty, uh, pretty uh, regularly on self-control issues. But basically, you know, a lot of it is the same as just what you would do with your own pet dog. But you get to take these dogs with you everywhere. And and mm -hmm. then what what age is he going to leave you? So generally we keep them till about, they're about 18 months old. That can vary. And then uh, we return them to the organization and they finish their last six months of training with the professional staff. And those are the people that actually place the dogs. Got it. Now let's talk a little bit more about that. So where do these dogs go? Who receives these service dogs? So um, we provide service dogs to children, adults, veterans uh, with a variety of disabilities. We serve over 60 disabilities, including PTSD. So we provide service dogs to individuals, we provide service dogs to children. Uh, children are usually paired with a parent and the dog. Uh, we provide hearing dogs to people uh, who need help, who can't necessarily hear you know, all the sounds they need to hear. And we provide something called a facility dog, which is a type of therapy dog that would be used in um, with therapists, let's say a speech therapist or a physical therapist, they would be used with clients. We've provided uh, facility dogs to police, police departments. At the Appleton, Wisconsin Police Department has one of our facility dogs, in fact. Uh, we provide courtroom dogs. So we provide a wide range of service dogs um, to people. And, and again, all of those are free of charge. Which is amazing. If you look on the Canine Companions website, which we'll give out, and some of the YouTube videos to see the, the, these videos of the people who are receiving these dogs and 
how, how life-changing it is for them. And not just for the service that the dogs provide, but for the companionship, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing. I mean, do you have, uh, I don't know, you know, you've probably seen a lot of matches or heard about them. Are there any that kind of stand out to you? Um, well, all of the matches that we've made, we, oh, she is the eighth puppy that we're, that we're raising. And we've had four uh, get matched. And those were all very meaningful in very different ways, you know, because of the way that they helped the person who received them. I saw a little girl one time at one of the graduation ceremonies who, who could not have been happier. She was, she went and received her dog and she walked with the dog very calmly using her walker back to her seat and she was just beaming. And to see that is, it's so rewarding. It's so rewarding to be part of this organization. And then do you get updates, you know, a year from after the the match, do you? Uh, We do. Um, After we turn the dog in for the final six months of professional training, the organization keeps in touch with us actually and lets us know about the progress of the dog. They let us know when um, um, the dog will be entering the final phase of the program, which is called team training. That's where they're ultimately matched with a person. And at the end of that, then we're notified that, yes, they did in fact make a match and the dog will be placed with somebody. And we get invited to a formal graduation ceremony where we we are invited and we um present the leash of the dog to the person getting the dog. It's an incredibly emotional, emotional event. But what I found truly stunning about that experience is that every single graduation I've been to and every single dog that I've seen handed over to their new person never looks back at the puppy raiser when, when they walk away. They know by that time where they belong and they go very willingly with tails wagging with their new person. And I'm getting chills talking about this. It's so moving to me that the ability of these dogs to transition from my house to the professional training environment and then to their new person and ultimately their new home. It's remarkable what these dogs can do and so willingly and just ready to serve their new person. And, and none of them look back and want to go back with their puppy raiser. I, Which is because I noticed that too uh, on the videos of the graduation that, um, or the matching that they did not look back. Cause I always thought, oh gosh, how horrible if your puppy is like crying to get to you and has to go with these virtual strangers. And, and it wasn't like that at all. They, they seem to know what's going on. Yes. You know, it's amazing. And I was really impressed that this organization does not force dogs into service. Every dog is there because they want to be there. And every dog I've seen demonstrate a command, every service dog, when I do presentations and I have a a service dog team come with, every dog, when they're asked to do something, has their tail wagging. They love to do the work. (laughs) Mm -hmm. People might say, oh gosh, you know, how do you know they want to do that? Well, on the other hand, you have people who just keep their dogs in crates all day and don't let them do anything. You know, I mean, these, these dogs are, all dogs are amazing and intelligent and have the energy. And so to kind of 
put that into something good where they are using their skills, really. I would imagine dogs would kind of prefer that than to sit around all day doing nothing. (laughs) That's exactly right. And, And to your point, you know, when I see the dogs, you know, perform so willingly like that and using their talents, like you said, there's no way I would ever want any of my dogs back because Mm-hmm. That would be such a waste of their talent. They would just sit around and wait for me to do what? Take them for a walk in the neighborhood when they could be doing yeah. so, you know, work that's so important. They'd be like, boring. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what else you got for me today? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now you mentioned, you were saying, you know, if there's a match. So is there not always a match? And what happens to ones that don't get a match? So a little over 50% of our dogs are actually uh, placed with somebody. The ones that are released from the program uh, sometimes go back to the puppy raiser. We get first dibs on on, um, taking the puppy back if we'd like. And if we don't, then the organization has volunteers and donors and other people on their list uh, who are ready to take the release dogs. So they go to pre-qualified homes. Okay, that's great. And if somebody wanted to be a candidate to receive a service dog, how how do they go about applying for that? Well, and we are actually looking for people to, to apply and receive our dogs. And the process starts on our website with an online application at canine.org. And there's a service dogs tab that you can click on and get information and read through about whether a service dog is even the tool that you that the person needs. So, you know, it, it really starts there. And then there's an extensive application process that the professional staff handles. What's the typical wait time from when somebody applies till they would find out if they were approved or not? You know, that varies. It can be anywhere between, well, between the least I've heard, I think is about 14 or 15 months up to maybe two years, but that's, it hasn't been that high for a long time. What kind of, because um, some, some people might be listening and say, well, my child or I have a disability, but they probably wouldn't give me a service dog. Like, can you just kind of give an idea of the spectrum of disabilities that would qualify? Well, like I said, I, you know, we provide for over 60 different disabilities. Some examples, you know, the, the our first dog was placed with a young man who has um, muscular dystrophy. So he's in a wheelchair. And so the dog performs tasks like picking up dropped items, turning lights on and off. By the time they're actually finished, they know 45 commands. Um, The next person that we had a dog placed with had cerebral palsy. He was in a wheelchair and similar tasks the dog would do for that person. Yeah, actually all four of our graduate dogs were placed with people in wheelchairs. So that's that's the most common that I'm familiar with. Um, But I can't speak directly to who would or wouldn't qualify. That's above my pay grade. (laughs) There's probably a lot of information too on the website and because it seemed like there were some that didn't physically appear disabled, but had other types of disabilities. So it does seem like you cover a lot of them, which is really nice. And the fact that, again, that 
the people do not have to pay a penny for these is really incredible. How does the organization have the funds to do everything they need to do to get the dogs ready? So we are we are all donation based, and the dogs are valued at, at around fifty thousand dollars. A part of Whoa. that is because we provide lifetime support for the dogs. So we rely on individual donations, um, grants, donations from corporations, the uh, monies that I spend on the dog's food and training and things like that. That's that's included in that $50,000. So that's my financial donation to the organization in, in addition to the time I spend training. So yeah, it, it every little bit makes a big difference. <laughs> And I, I assume they can donate right off the website there. And, and what if um, someone's interested in being a puppy raiser? What would they do? That's an online application process too. You can go online and um, I think there's a tab for uh, puppy raisers and, and you can apply online. Are there any hard no's like I can't be a puppy raiser if I something like, or is it just very individual? Yes. Yes. If you have, if you have too many pet dogs, if you have six pet dogs, then no, <laughs> there's a limit to how many of your own pet dogs you can have. If you just got a puppy of your own, a pet puppy, even if it was your only dog, then you would have to wait a little while uh, to bring another puppy into the house. Um, if you have uh, several of our release dogs already, but again, you know, we're all, we're screened every time we want to raise another puppy, we fill out a new public, uh, repeat puppy application. And yes, yeah, just to make sure, you know, if your living situation has changed, if you've moved. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. And, uh, and so I noticed, uh, you know, you seem to have Oshi with you everywhere. Is there anywhere you're not allowed to bring him? Generally, zoos don't want arch puppies in training there. Most of the time, uh, the laws vary by state. We don't necessarily have public access rights like somebody with a disability because our dogs are just in training. So those, those laws vary by state. Um, just uh, personally, I don't necessarily take him absolutely everywhere. It depends how much attention I'm able to give him because he's in training he has to be my first and foremost you know priority when we go out if he's not feeling well <laughs> I wouldn't take him out <laughs> so um it kind of depends you know on the circumstance uh, you know whether or not uh, I can do my job effectively as a trainer and keep my attention on him he just seems so perfect uh, to, to, you know, for people who say, oh, they're always working. They're always working. Do they ever get a chance to just go home and be a silly dog with no rules or regulations around them? <laughs> <laughs> I'll answer that two ways. You know, when we get puppies at eight weeks, they think every minute is just time to be <laughs> silly. So, <laughs> so we work on on that self-control that I mentioned before and making sure that, you know, not every minute actually is silly time. <laughs> and from the service dog standpoint, yes, they absolutely 
get to be off duty when they're at home and pet dogs and play fetch in the yard and things like that. And I, I didn't realize this was your eighth one. So <laughs> you, I, I am surprised you don't have eight dogs at home. <laughs> but like you said, you know, they're, they're going to great matches. And what would you say, you've kind of covered this, but if you, for somebody who's kind of on the fence about, you know, applying to be a puppy raiser, um, what would you say is kind of benefited you the most from doing this? And how would you encourage people to do it? You know, it's been really rewarding for us to be part of a process like this to help somebody in such a personal and profound way. Um, like I said, we like training puppies, so you have to be ready for cleaning up accidents and some puppies go through that process a little bit quicker than others. <laughs> Every puppy's different, so that makes it fun. And I think it's just a really different way for us to to help people. And we get a lot of support from our organization too. There are all, the professional staff have, is always ready there to help us, you know, when we have issues that we can't quite figure out how to work through. We have weekly online training that's available to us, recorded sessions that we can go back and watch anytime that are geared towards specific commands that we teach and, and things like that. So there's a lot of support from the organization. And I know you said that you, you provide the food and everything and it's considered a donation. If somebody does not have the financial resources to, to care for the dog that way, can they get that support from the organization? Or do they kind of expect you to pay for the basics in the way of a donation? That's, that's expected for a puppy raiser, I believe. Got it. Mm -hmm. I, I have not heard of a situation where financial support was needed. So I don't gotcha. know if that's provided. Okay. Does that include vet care as well? Yes. Got it. Okay. Wonderful. Well, we will, um, can you say one more time how people would get in touch with you or canine companions and we will also put it on the website with a lovely picture of you and Oshi <laughs> so everybody can see how cute you both are <laughs> <laughs> um, the website is canine.org and my email address um, and I would love to have people help me raise awareness of the organization in the area um, I love to come out and talk to groups and clubs. And if you know of any corporations with employee groups, um, some corporations have veteran groups. So I would love to come and talk to them. Um, and my email is C-R-U-P-P-V-P-R at AOL.com. So that's C-R-U-P-P-R at AOL.com. Wonderful. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for being here. And um, I will get to see you this evening at Geneva Lake Women's Association and yeah. OSHI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can't wait. Uh, well, well, thank you. I hope um, that everybody checks out the website and is able to support in one way or another by becoming a puppy raiser or just donating. Like you said, every little bit helps. But if you go on and, and watch the stories of the people who receive these dogs, you, you will be moved to help in some way, I guarantee it. Well, as always, thanks to the listeners for letting me share my love of Lake Geneva and the wonderful people 
and dogs who help make it so special. I'm Karen Stray Rappaport. Join me next time as another guest takes their place in the sun. Bye for now. I feel all right.